You're listening to the 1208 Podcast from 1208 Greenwood Free Methodist Church in downtown Jackson, Michigan. Okay, that might be a little hard to read, but up on the screen is Revelation 13, which is what we're going through today. Not because I just thought, hey, let's go through Revelation 13, that'd be fun. But because we're going through the whole book of Revelation. So, before we hop into this, let me tell you an American legend that maybe you've heard before. It's about one woman who during the reign of Hitler was suspicious, not that there was actually just a human army rising up that had moral corruption to them and was going out and doing these horrible things. But she sensed that behind Germany, that behind Hitler, there was some real supernatural powers going on with its own false gods and spiritual beings. And and she rose and, and she started to tell those around him, look, if I could just overthrow the spiritual beings behind Nazi Germany then Nazi Germany would begin to crumble. They'd be awoken to all the evils that they've done. And so she set out, and all of her friends thought she was ridiculous. They're like, can't do that. That's not going to work. There's not, there's not supernatural powers behind this. It's just one man who's gone crazy with power. She's like, no, I believe there's more. And so she sets out, and with her golden cuffs and her lasso of truth and a shield, Wonder Woman sets out, to fight the Nazis. <laughs> you seen this movie? No? No one's gone to the movies in the last few years? <laughs> it's the movie Wonder Woman. And it's kind of a strange premise. But believe it or not, to some extent, that movie actually is using a little bit of the biblical worldview. This idea that behind the nations and behind movements of mass evil and moral corruption, that there's actually a spiritual side to this that's leading all of it into corruption. And as strange as you would think, like we're getting into Revelation 13 about the beast, what does this have to do with Wonder Woman? I think you might start sensing that kind of, that feel as we go through this. So if you were with us last week, what we talked about was the dragon. Anybody remember who the dragon is? Satan. Satan, thank you. So Satan is pictured in Revelation as a dragon who wants to destroy Jesus at birth. He shows up, And when Jesus is being born, the dragon is pictured just like waiting for him to pop up so he can devour him. We, of course, know that the threat against Jesus when he's born is Herod. So actually the picture that Revelation is painting in that point is that behind King Herod, behind these physical human powers, is some kind of satanic, demonic being pulling puppet strings causing Herod to do the things that he's doing. Almost as though there's like this so on earth as in heaven kind of vibe, just like kind of that Wonder Woman feel. And we see the dragon then go on to uh, try to pursue uh, the woman who gives birth to Jesus, so Mary or just like General Israel, if you will. But then after he gives up on chasing Israel... He goes after all of the Christians, all of Jesus's spiritual followers, if you will. That's the picture that Revelation 12 painted for us, is that Satan's pulling these strings behind Herod, 
And then he takes off to persecute the Christians. How does he persecute the Christians is the question that Revelation 13 continues. Now, for us, we're thinking like you stop in the middle of this uh, story about a dragon and now you move on to a story about beasts. Remember, there's no chapters, no verses in the original Bible. Those were written in to help us find places. This is all one continuous story. It's still continuing. So we hit pause last week on a dragon. Now we hit play again to remember how does the dragon attack the Christians. And we're just going to go kind of verse through verse through Revelation 13. If you want to read in your own Bibles or your own phones, I'm using the ESV if that's helpful. But you can use whatever translation you want. Or if you can read that up on the screen, you can follow me there. But we're going to pause as we see some interesting things here. So I saw a beast rising out of the sea with ten horns and seven heads, with ten diadems on its horns and blasphemous names on its head. And I saw, and the beast that I saw was like a leopard. Its feet were like a bear's and its mouth was like a lion's mouth. And to it, the dragon gave his power and his throne and his great authority. All right, pause. What kind of beast are we looking at here? This is actually a reference back to Daniel. I think you might have noticed by now that John, who wrote Revelation, loves the book of Daniel. And in the book of Daniel, Daniel is given a vision about four different kingdoms. And each kingdom looks like something different. So a leopard and then uh, a a lion with eagle's wings and, and some of these other things. Daniel just takes all of that. And says, think of all the, the kind of like world powers wrapped into one beast. And now picture that in Revelation. Now in Daniel, he was specifically told these different beasts represent different kings. So we're thinking in kingdoms already. We don't need to go look for like another interpretation. John is using the interpretation that he's already familiar with. This beast is kind of like the epitome of all evil that can come out of different kinds of kingdoms and countries and nations and politics and kings and queens and all of that. It's all just wrapped up into this one mega beast. And so he steps up. And interestingly enough, this beast, uh, it says, and to it, the dragon gave his power and his throne and his great authority. Now, if you're like me and you've grown up in kind of like a Christianized understanding of America, then you've been taught like, yeah, this was God's country founded by him, made by him. Anything that America does is God's will. And so just stamp on everything. If we go to war, God wanted us to go to war. If we change our politics from one thing to another, God wanted it changed. If we do this, that, that, or that, like this is God's kingdom. And so we go out and do what God calls us to do. But interestingly enough, so far, we're seeing that the way that Christians are persecuted by the dragon is that the dragon raises up the empires, the beast behind the nations, and then he empowers it. The dragon gives it his power, gives it his throne and his authority. Now, we've seen Jesus on a throne and it's distinguishing hard here. Rome, the nations of this world, that's not Jesus's power. This is the power of the enemy. The authority that it has, what's lingering behind it a lot of times you might see 
Is demons and Satan trying to do his work over humanity to persecute Christians and do all other kinds of things, throw humanity into chaos, if you will. So this is the picture that it's painting for us. And when we start to look at what Revelation's saying, suddenly we kind of have to stop and look at our own understandings of, of the way that we picture our own countries and nations. Because the way that John's phrasing it is, look, you know that Jesus is your king. You know that heaven is your country. You know that if you are a Christian, you are a citizen of heaven, which is your country, where Jesus reigns over you. And then he's telling the people of Rome, this country, Rome, that's persecuting you, that's not Jesus's country. You are from another place and you hold your citizenship there. And I think that goes true for any nation, and that includes even us, where John would say, look, Americans, this home, this planet, this country, America, this, this is not yours. You are from another place. And whatever King Jesus tells you to do as a Christian, that's what you adhere to. That is your nation. He is the one in charge. See, in the Old Testament, God tried to do like, I'll just choose one people and I'll be their God and they'll be my people and they'll follow me. Didn't work out. Humanity's pretty corrupt. They kept turning the other way. In the New Testament, what he does, he says, I'm not here to take power from the thrones. I'm not here to try to like overthrow Caesar and just sit on his throne and then install the Jews into this country. I'm here to ascend to heaven and sit on a heavenly throne. And anyone who wants to follow me is going to follow me from heaven. I'll send the Spirit. He'll bring your assignments. He'll bring your missions. And you follow me from there. And one day I'll bring heaven to earth and make the whole earth heaven. But for now, I'm going to do this from my throne where God is. Jesus shows us my throne is not over these countries. And John shows us actually there's something else sitting on that. Now, don't get me wrong. Obviously... We are made in God's image and we always want to impact as much as we can, whether it's politics or the world or how we live our everyday lives. We always want to image God in all those moments. So by all means, if you can get a country to do the things that you believe God would have it to do, all power to you. That's a good thing. (laughs) But should you expect that it's going to work out when dragons are behind it? Not necessarily. It's all great when it does. And we have the capacity to image God in all areas. But we have to recognize that God is not always the single force behind any kind of nation. As Christians, we put our faith in heaven. All right, one of its heads, picking up verse 3 up there, one of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed. And the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. Now, for us, we're waiting for some beast to rise out. If you're like me, you're taught kind of the left behind ideas. One day a beast will rise up and it'll get hurt, but it'll have regenerative powers. I don't know. I didn't get that far in left behind. But that's the way that I always imagined it happening. Uh, This actually, I think John's talking to the people of his time. In John's time, they had their own Hitler. His name was Nero. Nero Caesar. And this guy, man, he was intense. His mom helped him get the throne during a time where it was up for grabs. And after his mom helped him get to the throne, he had his mother killed because she seemed like a threat. 
Now, you'd think that back then people would be like, oh, that's politics for you. Just these emperors always doing what they want. Actually, Rome thought that was evil, and they accused him of murder, and they called it matricide. So the murder of, you know, your, your mother. And so they called him out on it. But he didn't get better. He kept getting more and more corrupt. There was a fire that happened. So think like uh, Chicago fire, right? In your history books, when, when Chicago goes through this great fire and a bunch of it's wiped out. Rome had its own Chicago fire. And when it was done, rather than respond with like pity and all that, you know what Nero did? He carved out a big chunk of what just burned down and said, this is where I want my new palace. <laughs> Not caring about what everybody's going through, but saying like, yeah, right here, this is where my glory goes, right in that spot. And when everyone started to be like, what is he talking about? That's where his mind is right now. His way of trying to distract attention from himself, he actually put it on the Christians. He said, ah, they started the fire. They messed it all up. And so the Christians started to undergo some persecution from that. On top of that, he started a war with Judea, and he uh, took down uh, the Jerusalem temple, and he had hundreds of thousands of people killed in this war, to the point that the state of Rome actually said, this guy is dunzo. <laughs> like, this just isn't working out. We are actually uh, calling him corrupt and we are putting on him the punishment of execution. Can you imagine that? Like your own king or president or something just getting so evil that your actual state, rather than following blindly, is like, this guy needs to be assassinated and it's just too much. The story goes that he went and killed himself and committed suicide because he didn't want to, of course, go through the humiliation of being killed in front of everybody. So with that being said, we see this mortal wound come on Rome in verse 3. This is what most commentaries think that this is talking about. This mortal wound of Rome has taken this huge hit of this evil emperor. But then it says it was healed and the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. How is it healed? Well, there's a legend, like Tupac. Tupac's not dead, right? Still out there somewhere, so they say. Hanging out with Elvis, <laughs> Michael Jackson, I don't, I don't know, some other people. Just these stories of people who, did they really die or are they still around? That's, that's the question. And that was the legend that began to spread about Nero. It's the same thing with Epstein. Epstein didn't kill himself. You know, it's like, hey, this guy, he didn't kill himself. He's still out there somewhere. And they were afraid that he was out finding an army from another nation that he had worked with in the past, get them on his side and come back and attack Rome. And so the story went on that he was faking his own death, had escaped somewhere, and he would come back with persecution. There are other stories that went on about this possibility that he, um, that though he died, his evil genius would live on and would corrupt others or, I don't know, reincarnate itself or something like that. And, and even the early Christians in the first generation, they had writings about how they were afraid that Nero would come back in some way. And so with that kind of uh, fear, they said like it was healed. Later, Revelation is going to say that the beast was and then was not, but is to come. The idea is like, he was alive, then he died, but one day he's coming back. That's how the beast is described later. 
Anyways, this is what they're going through in their time. So this isn't even about like a future event. This is about something that was going on back then. And they worshiped the dragon for he had given his authority to the beast. And they worshiped the beast saying who is like the beast and who can fight against it. I think that's another powerful word for some of the things that we go through in our own lives today. Again, we have this idea of Christian nationalism, that, that America is God in some way, that our country, when we serve our country, we're serving God. And actually, the way that it's phrased right here is that as they turned to their own nationalism, as they turned to Rome and worshipped it, they weren't worshipping Yahweh, they weren't worshipping Jesus, they were worshipping the dragon, they were worshipping the Satan. They put it on the same level that to follow the beast is to follow the dragon. The beast was given a mouth uttering haughty and blasphemous words, and it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. It opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. And it was also allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. So we have martyrdom. We've been talking about that for weeks. And authority was given over to every tribe. Sorry, and authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation, and all who dwell on the earth will worship it. Everyone whose name was not written before the foundation of the world in the book of the life of the Lamb who was slain. So again, the Bible here is kind of painting two sides. You're either with God, a citizen of heaven, with Jesus as your king, or you're following the nations with the beast who's causing you to follow after Satan. And we have to choose, I think, sometimes which sides we're on. Not that we can't influence the earth to live better and to follow God, but recognize that if we're following something else over God, then we're calling something else king. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is to be taken captive, to captivity he goes. If anyone is to be slain with a sword, with a sword he must be slain. Here is a call for endurance and faith of the saints. You'll remember weeks ago, John said, I have a bitter word. It was delicious in my mouth because God wins, but in my stomach, it's super bitter. What's the bitterness? We're going to be persecuted. We might go to captivity. We might be taken to prison. We might be slain with a sword, but here's the call John's saying. God is calling us to endure and be faithful to God through it all. Even when Rome's against us, even when the dragon's against us, even when the beast is against us. We then get to a second beast. It's not just one, but another one rises up. It says, I saw another beast rising out of the earth. Anyone remember where the first beast rose out of? The sea. Now you have a beast coming out of the sea, a beast coming out of the earth. In the Old Testament, there was this idea of a water dragon and behemoth. It was Leviathan, this water dragon, and behemoth, this kind of like hippo dragon of some sort. It was just like this massive land creature and this massive water creature. And John is taking those creatures because the Bible talks about how they'll be slain at the end of time when God restores all things. Uh, restores all things. These creatures are kind of pictured. Leviathan, the first beast, and Behemoth, the second beast. But now they're reposed as kind of like the earthly governments that the dragon rules over. I saw another beast rising out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb and spoke like a dragon. Wait a minute. Who, who's like a lamb in Revelation? Jesus. Jesus. The answer is always Jesus. <laughs> so, <laughs> good job. Yeah, Jesus is like a lamb in Revelation. So what's the second beast doing? 
He's trying to pretend he's a lamb. This, this is like an, a horrible impersonation, right? Imagine if you came across a sheep that's like, hello, right? It's just like trying to speak like a dragon. How are you today? Like you would be like, dude, I can tell you're obviously not a sheep. Something's wrong. But this is like, this is pictured as an antichrist, something trying to look like Jesus, but very clearly is not. We also at this point are into a, uh, something that comes up in Revelation all the time among commentarians. We believe as Christians in the Trinity. That is that there's only one God, but you can find him in three forms. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Revelation pictures Satan with his own unholy Trinity. Dragon, first beast, second beast. And if you follow any of these three, you're in essence worshiping the dragon and following the same being behind it all. So now we've come in contact with the unholy trinity. The second beast rises up, pretends to be a lamb, but it speaks like a dragon. It exercises all the authority of the first beast in its presence and makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose mortal wound was healed. It performs great signs, even making fire come down from heaven to earth in front of people. Wait, who in Revelation brought fire down from heaven or could bring fire down from heaven, but never did? God. The two witnesses, remember this story? The church, the lampstands, the prophets, they could bring fire down from heaven, though they're never told that they did in Revelation, just says they could. And now here you have again the second beast trying to impersonate the good side, impersonate the Christians, uh, Jesus. Yeah, we got that fire too. You almost see them, it's like the competition in the Old Testament between Pharaoh and uh, uh, God where these Magicians are always trying to recreate the same plagues. Here you see them trying to compete, but doing a horrible job at it. And by the signs that is allowed to work in the presence of the beast, it deceives those who dwell on the earth, telling them to make an image for the beast that was wounded by the sword and yet lived. So building an idol to the beast. Okay? It was allowed to give breath to the idol, the image of the beast, so that the image of the beast might even speak, might cause those who would not worship the image of the beast, to be slain. Also, it causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or the forehead, so that no one can buy or sell unless he has a mark, that is, the name of the beast or the number of its name. Uh, This is another thing that, if you're like me, you're always told was down the road. One day we're all going to get RFID chips in our hands and it's the mark of the beast or something like that, right? No, they already had this kind of mark. It messed them up. If they couldn't go to um, do business, if they couldn't sell their products, they couldn't make a living. Likewise, if they couldn't buy products, then what would they eat? This was one of the things that Christians were going through. They had these marks on them. Hey, if you're wearing this mark, it means that you're not giving to Rome. You're not giving to our gods. It means you've decided to opt out of our religion our state and out of the grip of the dragon. And so if that's how you're going to live, fine. You can't have any food. You can't sell any food. Get out of this area. So now they're starting to find persecution, not just through martyrdom, but in other ways. And the number of the beast, right? This calls for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is... 666, yes, uh, another famous number. 
All right, one thing you have to recognize here, because if you're like me again, you're waiting for 666 to come up down the road. This was something that they obviously already understood because this was a letter. Revelation was a letter written to Christians. And what were they told? Hey, find someone who's wise in your church and someone who has understanding. I'm telling you a riddle. I'm not just going to spell it out for you because you know what this mark is. But if I just say it out loud, I'm probably going to get more persecuted. There's a number, 666. You know what I'm saying. Figure it out. And for us today, 2,000 years removed, we're like, what were you saying, right? Uh, The most popular idea is that 666, there used to be this Hebrew uh, form of language and math mixed together called gematria. And basically, Hebrew letters counted as numbers at the same time. So if my name's Jamin, J would represent a number, A would represent a number, M would represent a number, until finally I do the math all together. If you were to put Nero in Gematria, one of the ways it comes out is 666. Interestingly enough, if you put Beast in Gematria, the way it comes out is 666. <laughs> and some manuscripts actually say, actually it's 616. If you put Nero Caesar into Gematria, it's 616, which equates for some of the other manuscripts. This is the most popular idea behind what 666 means. Since we've already seen Nero show up, you see this possibility of John saying, the mark is Nero. The mark is the Roman Empire. The mark is the dragon running all of these things around us. Now, some would say that this actually is just too complicated to be Nero. I won't even get into reasons why. And they offer other ideas such as ancient Sudoku, which even I don't understand, so I won't get into it. But nonetheless, uh, I think our point still stands, whether it means Nero or not. You see this whole political thing. And I don't know about you, but it convicts me greatly when I look at the way that I grew up and I look at the way that I was taught to think. When I look at the way in which I was taught uh, in many ways from all different areas of the church to kind of turn America into idol worship. I'm not really thinking about like, what does this mean in Rome so much because I don't live there and I'm 2,000 years removed from this time period. But I am left saying like, how does this apply to me? And it comes out in a lot of super unpopular ways. <laughs> I remember when Kaepernick started getting all this flack for not doing the Pledge of Allegiance and I was like, man, I haven't been doing that for some time. Simply because like, it, it unsettles me that my king is in heaven and I'm pledging allegiance to a country that might follow him sometimes and also might follow a dragon sometimes. I can't be allegiant to that. And I tell you, you can't escape the Pledge of Allegiance. I took my son to a monster truck show. They're like, would you stand? I was like, well, I'm at a monster truck show. What does this have to do? You know, it's just super awkward because I have like, I guess I'll stand, but I don't want to do it. I don't want people to look at me. I'm not trying to make a fuss, but this must be what the early Christians felt like. Like a stick in everyone's side, like standing out as someone who just doesn't blend in with everyone else. Hey, why are you doing that? Why, why aren't you worshiping our gods? Hey, why don't you go to this place like everyone else does and make a sacrifice? What are you, a bunch of weirdos? Like, why would you? And then being insulted that you wouldn't. Like, that's 
I've been there in some ways. <laughs> when politics happen and I have to say, you know what, Jesus is definitely on the other side of what's going on in the world in politics right now. It's super uncomfortable. So everyone's like, why would you think that way? Why do you care about that? Why would you even be driven that way? It's like, well, my king is someone else. And he's got different opinions on different stuff. (laughs) It's uncomfortable. And I find that when I match everything perfectly in the world, I find that when I match politics perfectly in the world, if I match completely a Republican, completely a Democrat, or anyone who claims to be in between, I'm not following Jesus because I put my allegiance elsewhere. And by putting it elsewhere, I'm following something that may try to look like a lamb, but it's actually a dragon or something that very clearly may just be a dragon. And I'm like, I guess I'll just follow you anyways. You have the power and authority. That is convicting to me. (laughs) It creates a lot of conversations in everyday life that honestly, I would prefer not to have sometimes. But how do I just lay aside my passion for my king, for the citizenship of heaven, and just blindly follow another? Okay, so maybe some of the things I've said have sound extreme. Let's balance it out a little bit really quick. Romans 13, maybe something that's been going through your head anyways. Romans 13, Paul says this, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is a servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this also you pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God tending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Jamin, you just spoke the whole opposite of what Paul was saying. (laughs) You just made the state out to be a dragon, like demonic, satanic, that there's these strings being pulled behind it sometimes. Not always, but you seem to go that route. You're out of line with what Paul's saying. I would suggest to you not exactly that that's the case. For example, Paul says, you know, like, hey, if you do bad things, bad things are going to happen to you because the government's supposed to punish you. You know, the government put Paul in jail, right? (laughs) Did Paul do bad things? Why was he in jail? Because that was God's wrath on him? I'd say no. I think Paul's painting a picture of, look, when the government's doing what it's supposed to do, when they're actually being judging good and evil correctly, then of course you should be subject to that. His point is like, if you do something bad, you should be afraid that the government will accuse you for it and give you some kind of consequence for it. That's Paul's point. Because if they're doing what God had appointed them to do, 
then bad things would stop happening because you have the threat of the government saying, hey, we care about morality, we care about things like this. John, however, is not writing about a government that has it all together and is doing good things. John's writing about a government that the dragon has completely overtaken. If John was to say, hey, Paul, come over here, I want to show you my vision. Do you see those Christians down there being run through with a sword and beheaded? You see that, John? Or see that, Paul? Do you think that like this is okay? Paul would be like, absolutely not. Obviously, the government is not doing what God has appointed it to do. It's corrupt. It's fallen. So this just goes back to what I was saying. State powers, all those things, can do good things, can follow God. I don't disagree with that whatsoever. However, the picture the Bible paints for us is that God is only fully behind this kingdom of heaven where his son reigns. And everything else can kind of mix and match between trying to follow God and trying to follow a dragon. And I think history has kind of shown us time and time again that even if you started off following God, and this was true for Israel, even if you start off following God, given enough time, humanity is depraved enough to eventually start worshiping a dragon instead. And so if you just call this country God, you'll be blinded when it transforms into something else. If you don't notice that a lamb is pretending to be a dragon, you'll follow it until it kills you. So I don't know if this is encouraging to you tonight. I would hope that it was encouraging for uh, the Christians of John's time, and the band can come up, to hear... John's saying, like, look, I know this is happening to you, and God wants me to give you a prophetic word. Be strong. Be faithful. Follow him all the way to the end. Whether they starve you to death, whether they run you through with the sword, or whether they do something else, Jesus is still your answer, and he is still your king. And so you're going to internalize this in your own way. I gave you some of the ways that I internalized it. For you, you may just be like, I don't like any of this and I'm out. (laughs) I get it. It takes a while to, to even consider it. But maybe it convicts you in some other way. Maybe it brings to your mind some other things. That's not up to me to do. That's up to the spirit to bring any conviction that he feels... Uh, necessary. I certainly had to go through many phases of it to get to where I am today. Years worth. So, um, as we worship in this time, as we lift up our voices to God, to the one true God, to the one Jesus sitting on the throne that we follow and worship, I suggest you prompt your hearts to focus solely on Him. Until all other idols, till all other dragons, till all other ideologies of the dragons begin to fade. And you become just what God has called you to become, a citizen of heaven. Who though you live on this earth and respect authorities when they're doing their good job at it. You still say, I only follow Jesus in the end. If he calls me differently, I would follow him to death. Not because that sounds easy, not because we want to die, 
But because that's how sold out John calls his audience to be. Because that's how sold out God called John to call his audience to be. So as we continue to worship, uh, let's just prompt our hearts by standing. And then you can take on whatever posture you'd like after that. If as we're worshiping, God brings something really special to your heart, or you need prayer for some other kind of healing or something else, there's a prayer team in the back corner. They would love to pray for you. We have about 20 minutes after that. uh, We'll come up and dismiss for food bank. But for now, um, we're going to worship. And as we continue that, you can take on whatever posture you'd like.